Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Amen. Grab a seat. How are we all this morning? All right, we'll get there. Don't worry about it. I feel like this weekend is the first real weekend of summer, even though school got off a couple weeks ago, because kind of the heat is already here. I have a buddy of mine in town from Chicago, and we're going to go to the Ranger game at 2 o'clock today. And we woke up, and he said, it's going to be like 94 degrees today, Charlie. And I said, yeah, it's summer in Texas. Grab a sweater. Let's go. It's only 94, you know? So we're going <laughs> to do that, and we are launching a new series this summer in the Proverbs. We got done with nine months in the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about this idea of God's kingdom, this idea of God's influence, meaning as we, the people of God, live out the ways of God, we see more of God in our world. That's what it means, that God's kingdom or God's influence might grow in my life. And so this summer, we're going to talk about God's wisdom, the ways that God says life should go in pithy little sayings. To define a proverb, We're going to do that um, in a second, but it starts in Proverbs 1 like this. It's the very beginning of the book, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So this idea that Proverbs are the driving force of God's wisdom in short, small statements. So this summer, instead of running through a book that's 31 chapters, that's a narrative, this book is filled with sentences. So each week, we're going to take a theme and look at all the sentences that the Proverbs says about that theme. This week, we're talking about the idea, big picture, 30,000-foot view. What's wisdom? What's our role in wisdom? What's God's role in wisdom? Next week, we're going to spend some time, and I'm going to share with you all the wisdom I can muster in my nine months in parenting, everybody. It's going to be so good. 12-minute sermon, here we come, you know? The week after that, Steve Hickson's coming back. He's going to talk about friendship. And then we're going to keep talking about these themes week in and week out that build towards God's wisdom on specific topics because he created life. A proverb is an object lesson or short saying that helps you choose the course of action to follow or to avoid. They're short, small statements. And as we work through this book, week to week, talking about themes, we're going to look at these short, small statements that God has for his people. But we're familiar with Proverbs. If you don't know what they are, you have definitely heard them before. So the Mexico team just got back. I used to go on this trip. I I love this trip. And I used to go with a guy named Ian Cook. And Ian has probably built 80 or 90 of these houses. This guy builds things. You know, it makes sense. When he walks into Home Depot, they ask him for advice. It's really fantastic. And I would do certain builds with Ian. There'd be like a board, and he'd say, attach this board to that board. And I'd do the best job I could, you know? And I'd take it to Ian for approval that I never got from my father, that kind of sort of thing you're working out day to day. And Ian would always respond with this. He would say, it's good enough for government work. (laughs) He was a compassionate man. Really, though, we have these proverbs that we know to be true. Good enough for government work means it's not great. I'd do better, but it's fine for you. You know what I'm talking about? I actually searched because I wanted more proverbs. I searched Texas proverbs, and this one came up that I fell in love with. She could start a fight in an empty house, right? I want you to know, and so I don't get into any more trouble than I'm usually in. I'm not talking about my wife. I'm talking about me, all right? It resonated with my soul. I take pride in it. Like, I can start a fight anywhere. Come on, you know? This one I found, too, I thought was interesting, talking about the summer in Texas. It's so dry, the Baptists are sprinkling, the Methodists are spitting, and the Catholics are giving rain checks, right? 
Not going to lie, I have no idea what that means. And if you do, you've been to too much church, okay, everybody? Um, Really, what we're talking about this morning is the idea of what God says wisdom is. And in the first seven verses, which is where we're going to be, he lays out his theme for the book. He says, this is what I want to happen with the next 30 chapters. This is my goal and my desire. And so there's a lot of definitions of wisdom, but we're going to we're going to really just look at the first seven verses, simplify it, and come up with one of our own that includes us and God working together. Before we do that, we're going to do what we do at Crossroads every week. We have two goals on Sunday mornings. We want to know God. We want to experience God, because when we know and experience, we fully know who God is, because we're built with a mind, a will, and an emotions, and we embrace God with all those things. What that means for you and for me is I get up here and talk at you guys for a while, but it's not just you're sitting there waiting for me to say something that you like. You're an active listener because the Spirit is doing the work inside of you. We trust that the Holy Spirit is shaping your soul to look more like Jesus, God's influence in God's kingdom. And so we're going to take some time this morning, and I'm just going to open with prayer before we get into the text, and I'm going to ask that you just pray pray to yourself silently and ask that God does something, that you'll be an active listener and learner, not a passive hearer this morning, that this morning when we leave this place, you look or want to look more like Jesus. And then I'm going to ask that you pray for me because I'm 35, don't have a lot of wisdom, and I'm going to talk about it today. All right, let's go. God, I am thankful just for the space that we get to be in together, for the wisdom that comes as we compile people that follow Jesus. I pray this morning we can be listeners and learners. I pray that you give us a joy as we gather together and talk about the scripture with people that we know and love. I'd ask you if you're comfortable, take a few seconds and just ask that the Holy Spirit teach you and lead you this morning as we open his word. I'd also ask that you pray for me, that the words I say might be edifying and they might be uplifting and they might paint a right picture of the character of God where we find wisdom. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. We're in it together. Proverbs 1.1. Let's pick up at the very beginning because it's the best place to start. It goes like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Right off the bat, what we see is he says, this is what these things are. They're Proverbs, and here's who wrote it, Solomon. And that's something we have to acknowledge right off the bat because here's the deal, is that you and I today have more access more access to wisdom, so-called wisdom, more access to advice than ever before. Really, you pull something up on any social media, ask a question, and you're going to get a couple hundred responses on what they think the best way to act is. There was a Jimmy Fallon, actually, on a show, has a bit, and he does worst advice ever. And so he asks, what's the worst advice you've ever been given? And I have a couple that I like to appear. It says, before a multiple-choice final, a friend of mine told me, when in doubt, go with D. I got an F, you know? <laughs> Uh, another person said, uh, when I got my first license, a friend told me that when, I, when a stop sign is outlined in white, that means it's optional. <laughs> I got a ticket. <laughs> I'm totally going to do that with my kid in 16 years, you know? <laughs> like, men, maybe you shouldn't drive then. Uh, there was a, a viral post a year and a half ago at New Year's Resolution. Somebody posted this. Just made chicken medium rare chicken strips. They're so good. I can't believe I've never tried it like this before. And hashtag healthy. This kind of took over the internet for a little while. And people actually asked if that was okay. 
They sat there and they said, is that a good thing? Should I try it? And there's thousands and thousands of comments about how this is bad advice and bad wisdom. Here's my point. Where you go to for wisdom determines the quality of the wisdom you get. Our book said these are a bunch of wisdom statements, and it's from Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And if you don't know who Solomon is, he cornered the market on wisdom when he was alive. Solomon was a king of Israel. He was the the, the last king of Israel, the son of David, and Solomon had an interaction with God in 1 Kings 3. And what Solomon did, God came to Solomon and said, hey, I'm going to give you anything you want. You tell me what you want, I'll give it to you. I'm going to give you anything. You can have power and money and women and fame. I'm going to give you anything. And Solomon said, I, I just want wisdom. And this is God's response in 1 Kings 3, 11 through 13. God said to him, because you asked for the ability to make wise judicial decisions and not for a long life or riches or vengeance on your enemies, I grant your request and give you a wise and discerning mind superior to that of anyone who has preceded or will succeed you. God said, I'm going to give you more wisdom than anybody's ever had before and ever will have after you. It goes on and uses some hyperbole in verse 29. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. It's painting a picture of the wisest man we've ever met. And it was known not just by him. This isn't just Solomon getting up there being like, guys, I am really wise. You need to trust that I am wise. There's firsthand accounts in 1 Kings 4, 34. From other nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who heard of his wisdom. The entire world stopped down to listen to what Solomon had to say because they recognized how wise he was. The most popular story you probably know of Solomon is two women and they take a baby to Solomon and both are claiming to be the mother and, and he said, we'll cut the baby in half and give half to each person and the real mother says, no, give the kid to the other woman because no good mother would let her kid be harmed and Solomon said, you get the baby. He was the wisest man that ever lived. Here's why that matters. Because if we're gonna read a book of wisdom, I need to know the source is legit because if I don't, I know I'm getting bad wisdom. And it says up front, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. And when it says these are the Proverbs of Solomon, it doesn't mean that all these are written by Solomon. This is actually a book compiled over generation and generation and generation of learned and experienced wisdom. Why they say it's a book of Solomon is because probably a lot of them were his, but it's the best good they could use, adjective they could use to describe wisdom. In the first century world, in the world of the Jews before then, when you thought wisdom, you thought Solomon because he set the standards. So what they're saying is all these Proverbs are like Solomon's wisdom, the best wisdom we've ever heard on this earth because he's the wisest guy that's ever lived. It's how they described it to the best of their ability. There's a movie that came out, the Avengers Endgame movie. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and there's a really heartwarming scene where Tony Stark has a kid, and he walks out of the kid's room at night, and he says, I love you tons. And the kid says, I love you 3,000. You know, like he one-upped the kid. And it's beautiful because that's, that's the most the kid could think of to express the most love that she could that was over and above what was just expressed to her. When they say, this is a book written by Proverbs of wisdom given from Solomon, what he means is that this is the wisest sayings, whether it's written all by Solomon or other people, that we've ever seen, known, or heard. So just like people came from all over, stop. And listen, give it weight. 
And so it says at the very beginning, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, and then it moves into a section that defines wisdom for us, verse 2. To learn wisdom and moral instruction, to discern wise counsel. And notice the first thing here, I absolutely love this about this text. The first thing here is it says, this is who wrote it and why you should stop down. And here's the first thing you're going to do, is you're going to check yourself at the door. It doesn't say if you're foolish. It doesn't say if you don't know everything. It says to everybody that reads this, here's the purpose, to learn wisdom and moral instruction, meaning from the get-go, when you show up to this book, know your place in the midst of its place in your life. You're a learner all the time. He paints the picture that if you're going to learn, you have to understand that you need to learn. It's this idea of gathering knowledge. But like we talked about last week, the ascent of intellectual knowledge and a full picture of knowledge, you also have to experience something to fully know it. And so we said you can't fully know God if you don't also know him intellectually and experience his influence. That's what it means when it calls us to know God and do our faith out with works. It's this, it's this convalescence of a full life so that full, people might fully know God because there's a difference between knowing and experiencing. Last week I used the example of, I read a bunch of books about what it was like to be a parent before I was a parent. I read a book, bunch of books that was going to tell me I'm going to really miss sleep. But let me tell you something. The idea of sleeplessness, of knowing sleeplessness while I'm well rested is much easier than knowing sleeplessness when I haven't slept yesterday, you know? And so to fully know something, you have to not only know about it, but you have to experience it. And so it starts off the book by saying you're going to know or to learn wisdom and moral instruction. Both those things implied. So he says, you people, our learners, Ralph Waldo Emerson says, life is a journey, not a destination. It's the picture of discipleship. Paul says it a different way in Philippians 3. Not that I've already attained this, that is, I've not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of for me. Proverbs starts out by letting you know that you're not there yet. And that's a beautiful thing. It's why we can come to the text that maybe we've read before and maybe we haven't and still grow. It's an understanding that I am humble enough to admit that I need that I don't know everything. It's a beautiful place to be. And that's where we're called to be as disciples of Jesus is perpetual learners because we are not there yet. And so the book starts by saying, here's the purpose. It's written by Solomon so that you might know or learn wisdom. And here's what we're knowing and learning to learn wisdom and moral instruction, to discern wise counsel. That word wisdom is kind of one of the key themes of the entire book. And when the Old Testament talks about wisdom, today we're going to talk about some semantic ranges of words, meaning what they actually meant in the original language. And it's a little wider sometimes than the words that we use for it. So when we talk about wisdom, we think it's knowing the answers to things. But in the Old Testament, wisdom was different. In the Old Testament, wisdom literally meant the word in the Hebrew meant a skill that you learned and applied to produce a valuable outcome. In Exodus 33 and 35, excuse me, we see God talking about how to build his temple. And he says this, he says, he has filled him with the spirit of God. With skill, that's the same word for wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of work to design artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for their setting and cutting wood, to do work in every artistic craft. Wisdom was seen as a skill of applied knowledge that produced something valuable. So just so we're on the same page, 
it starts off by saying that wisdom did something. You can't have wisdom and not have the action to back it up. Saying wisdom is not only knowing God and experience God, but also doing something, honing, crafting a skill that grows with time as you grow wise. And then it defines wisdom for us a little bit. It says you're going to learn or know or grow in wisdom, which is a skill, and this is what it does. It discerns wise counsel. Because like Andy said earlier, man, life comes at you fast in whatever life stage you're at. And the beginning of wisdom is knowing what to do. So I'm going to go to this baseball game with my buddy this afternoon, and we're going to sweat, and we're going to sit five rows behind home plate, because the Rangers are terrible, and so it was cheap. And um, I don't know if you guys have been to a baseball game before, but you watch it on TV, and it's not the same. You watch it on TV, and it just doesn't look as difficult as it really is. You see these pitches thrown, and these grown men swing big bats and miss, and if you're me, I yell at the TV, and I, I ask the question, why can't you just hit the ball? When you ask most athletes, though, they'll say in all sports, one of the most difficult things to do is to hit a baseball. And why is because it looks slow on TV, but we're going to sit behind home plate and realize how fast it really is. In, in the major leagues, once the pitch leaves the pitcher's hand, it gets to the catcher's mitt in 400 milliseconds. It's four-tenths of a second. If you're a batter in baseball, by the way, you can't wait for it to get to you before you make your decision. The first thing you do, whether you're playing kid pitch or whether you're playing high school ball, college, or the pros, is you have to look at the pitcher, find the baseball, and realize what kind of pitch it is. You have to find the seams on the baseball, notice what way they're turning so you know what the ball's going to do because that thing can move. It can drop a foot or two feet. It can break three feet away from you. It can stay straight. It can rise up a little bit. So if you're a good hitter in baseball, the very first thing you do is determine whether it's the kind of pitch that you want to hit. And to do that, you've got to know what kind of pitch it is. And I say that because wisdom, discerning wise counsel, is all about figuring out what it is. Wisdom is knowing what to do. And it's hard because life goes fast. And that's a theme Proverbs sets before us time and time again. Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but the end leads to death. Just like watching baseball and thinking it's easy, we look at wise people and think it comes naturally, and it doesn't. That's why wisdom is accrued over years and lifetimes and not days and hours and weeks. Wisdom's difficult. It's something that we press into. It's a skill that we grow in. It's a trait that we seek after. And we buy into this lie sometimes that wisdom is easy and it comes naturally, and it's not the picture the Bible paints. The first thing wisdom does is it allows us to know what to do, and it's a difficult task to discern sometimes. Calvin Coolidge said it like this, knowledge comes, but wisdom lingers. It may not be difficult to store up in the mind a vast quantity of facts within a comparatively short time, but the ability to form judgments requires the severe discipline of hard work and the tempering heat of experience and maturity. Wisdom is knowing what to do, and that is difficult. So there's 31 chapters devoted to it. The last one of which talks about how to be a wise woman, which I'm not going to touch or teach with the 10-foot pole, everybody, you know? But wisdom isn't only knowing what to do. Look at the next verse. Wisdom is, we talked about in discerning wise counsel, and it's to receive moral instruction in skillful living. There's this component of wisdom that isn't just knowing what to do but knowing when to do it. So we see a couple tensions in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 26.4. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you yourself also be like him. 
And then in Proverbs 15, it says, a person has joy in giving an appropriate answer and a word at the right time. How good it is. There's this tension between two seemingly juxtaposed actions. And what Proverbs tries to tell us is wisdom is knowing what to do, but also knowing when to do it. If you're a baseball player and you pick up that pitch and it's moving towards you, you might know what pitch it is. You might know where it's going to end up. But if you don't swing at the right time, it doesn't matter. Uh, One of the best pieces of advice I got going into marriage, and there was a lot of them because I'd been on staff here for like five years and single the entire time. And so people were like, I'm going to tell Charlie how to achieve marital bliss. You know, appreciate all of it. Listen to some of it. Um, somebody pulled me aside and said, you know, when you talk to your wife, it, it's never a question that you have to, the what is always needing to happen. You need to have conversations. When you have those conversations matters, you know? And I found that to be true. So if my wife comes home and she needs to have a conversation with me, good, bad, or indifferent, Maybe it's just the conversation we have seemingly every day. What does your week look like, right? And I always seem to forget. And she says, check the calendar. And I said, ah. Um, If she comes at me with that conversation and I am prepping for a sermon or let's be honest, watching sports, it's not going to go well, you know? Meanwhile, if I go to her with that conversation and it's around breakfast, lunch, or dinner and we have not eaten left, I need to stop talking right then and know my priorities. The wind matters almost as much as the what. And what Proverbs tells us simply is that wisdom is not only knowing what to do, but knowing when to do it. Warren Risby is a theologian. He said, wise men and women have the competence to grasp the meaning of a situation and understand what to do and how to do it in the right way at the right time. And it's all based on a standard that we share. And that's what the end of chapter or verse three says, with righteousness, justice, and equity. When we see these terms, righteousness and justice and equity in the Old Testament, it it describes a picture of God's peace. We've talked about it before, God's shalom, God's good design that's fully realized as his influence is fully felt in our world. And when it says righteousness and justice and equity, literally one of those words points a picture to a cow walking a straight line and not veering left or right. It's this idea, this acknowledgement that there's a right way to do life and it's depicted and determined by God. Wisdom is living straightly according to God's straight plans for our world. C.S. Lewis said this, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. That straight line is God's goodness, his righteousness, his justice, his equity. It's this beautiful picture that God says there's a way that life should be lived that, that means that we flourish. And the, and the closer you live to that straight line, the wiser you are, knowing what to do and when to do it. Constable said, wisdom is God's fixed order for life, an order opposed to chaos and death. God made life. And so wisdom comes from Solomon, which if I'm going to get wisdom, I've got to go to him. Wisdom is knowing what to do, but not just what to do. A full picture of wisdom is knowing when to do it. It's just as important. And then wisdom also is for each and every one of us. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. To impart shrewdness to the morally naive, a discerning plan to the young person. Let the wise also hear and gain instruction, and let the discerning acquire guidance. So we see that we come to this text, we come to the Proverbs as learners. And we also see that we come to this text in different spots, you know? We come to this text trying to understand whether we are, because it's going to be a juxtaposition throughout the entire book, the foolish or the simple or the wise. And what we have to gain an understanding for is that, I know we like to paint with broad 
brushes, but there are going to be some things that you are wise in, and there are going to be some things that you are foolish in, and there are going to be some things that you just don't know yet. That's what it calls when it says the naive in verse 4. I'm wise in how to teach, and I'm wise in the understanding of Scripture-ish. You know, I try to be more and more every day. I paid a lot of money to be that way. Um, I'm not wise in how to build a house, you know, (laughs) at all. I'm terrible at it. So part of this is coming to it and have a real conversation with ourselves about where we're wise and where we're not, where we have room to grow and learn. And it says in verse 4, it's to impart a shrewdness to the morally naive, a discerning plan to the young person. It's parallelism. It's saying the same thing two times. What it means is that there are times when we come to situations in life when we fundamentally just don't know what to do. And that word shrewdness means that it's going to give you a plan. That it's going to give you a plan in the times you just don't know or haven't planned well. Not necessarily foolish, which is rejecting wisdom. There's a middle ground of you can be influenced one way or the other. So if you don't know, press into the wisdom of God and he will prepare you. He will give you a plan to the morally naive. He'll give you a plan to succeed if you're young. And when he says young there, he doesn't necessarily mean age. He means that you don't know yet. Uh, Henry Ford says, I love this quote, anyone who stops learning is old, whether at 20 or 80. It's the idea that we're called to be learners. And I've met a lot of wise young people, and I've met just a few, never here, immature, foolish, old people, you know? It's the idea that God calls us in to be learners, and what we do when we come to this text, whether we talk in the next weeks about friendship or about marriage or about parenting or about our tongues or about guarding our heart, when we talk about these things, we come to this text with either a disposition towards or against, wise or foolish, or just not known yet. And he says, if you're foolish, or if you're simple, or if you don't know, God's going to give you a plan to implement wisdom into your life. It's a beautiful comfort to the places in my life where I need wisdom. But he doesn't stop there. He says, it's not only for the foolish, so obviously wisdom's for the foolish. He says, wisdom is also for the wise. Verse 5, let the wise hear and gain instruction, and let the discerning acquire guidance to discern the meaning of a proverb and a parable, the sayings of the wise and their riddles. In the middle of verse 6 there, at the beginning of it, it says, to discern the meaning of a proverb and a parable. It's building in this idea that wisdom is a skill, a muscle. It's something you build. And the more you're around it, the more easily you pick up, the quicker you pick up what to do and when to do it. I uh, lived for a few months in Guatemala. And I went down there, and I, I really didn't know any Spanish. I took two years of Spanish in high school. I've confessed this before the Lord were good, cheated through most of it. And I knew like the five or six words that you learn in high school that aren't good and can't be repeated on Sunday mornings, all right? So I went down there to the airport, didn't know any Spanish, and I get off the plane, and I'm dropped in the middle of this village where I'm the only white person, and two people spoke English, right? So I'm trying to hang out with people and get to know people, and I have this, this Spanish, like, book that had lessons on how to learn it, and I had a Spanish dictionary, and I'm looking up words and trying to put things together, but here was my problem, is that I have conversations with the villagers from the town I was in, with the people my age that I taught with at the school, and I would sit there and try to learn the words they were saying, but I couldn't pick out the words they were saying, Right? I've been there before when you learn a new language. They say some things, and they'll say, I'm going to say these words. And then they say it in a sentence, and I swear to you they didn't say that word. So I spent the first month of my time in Guatemala saying, despacio por favor, which is please slow down. And I get what you're saying, the irony of me asking people to slow down. You do not have to make that joke after the service, okay? 
But I sat there for a month and said, please, please talk slower. And over time, the more I was around it, the more I picked up on it. And by the time I left, I could understand what they were saying. I still spoke like a two-year-old, but I still could understand what they were saying. That's what he's promising. He's saying wisdom is hard. Deciphering Proverbs, because it's kind of written in ways that is not how we speak, sometimes is difficult. But the more you're around it, the stronger you'll grow in your ability to flex that muscle, to use that skill, to recognize what is wisdom and then to implement it when it's supposed to be implemented. So whether you're foolish or whether you're wise, this book is written for you because you are a learner. And I love how he ends this in verse seven. He says, whether you're foolish or whether you're wise, we start from the same place. It says in verse six, the fear of the Lord or fearing the Lord is the beginning of discernment. That is, if you have a pen or a highlighter or a phone, that's the thesis statement of the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of discernment or wisdom in some cases. It's used 22 times in the book of Proverbs. It keeps pointing back to the idea of fearing God. And here's, in this text as you read it, and you, you come to this idea of fearing the Lord, if you're anything like me, it's a little bit filled with tension. Because I read things in Psalms, for example, 33, and it says, we put our hope in the Lord. He's our help and he's our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. I know I'm supposed to hope in God for my salvation, but usually the way my life is played out, I don't hope in the same thing I fear. I fear the thing I fear, and I hope in something else, right? We defined fear a couple weeks ago. I love this definition. Fear is a perceived at its center, a perceived loss of control. I fear the thing I can't control. I don't hope in the thing I can't control. So we've talked at length about my fear of snakes because they're awful little creatures. I was at a two-year-old birthday party three weeks ago. There are two-year-olds running around this back lawn. There's a little kiddie pool there. There is a six-inch garter snake, right? Okay. Here's what I did not do. I did not say, grab the kids, there's a snake. I said, there's a snake. Somebody do something about it. Stiff-armed a two-year-old on my way to the other side of the lawn. All right? I'm terrified of snakes. I don't also hope in snakes. It seems like when it says the fear of the Lord, we're supposed to do both. Both exist at the same time. We hope and fear in the same entity, and there's a tension there. But it's a beautiful tension if you know what's meant by fear of the Lord. So again, to look at the, the context of the word in the Old Testament, there's different kinds of fear that they had words for. The first kind of fear is what I'm talking about with snakes. It's just a dread or terror. Like, I, I am terrified, and it's blinding me to reason or logic or rational thought or action, you know? Like, this snake is six inches long, and it can't do anything. I didn't care. To me, that was a spitting cobra, you know? But then there's another kind of fear. The next kind of fear is just this word they use in the Old Testament that, that, that more so doesn't mean a terror, but, but just a sheer admiration or respect for if you guys watched any of the 75th anniversary of, of the D-Day stuff, but it's kind of that idea that I look up to and respect and respect those men that risked so much that I could have all this, you know? There's a third kind of word that's used for fear, and it's seen usually of God in the Old Testament when he did miraculous things. It's used of Jesus in the New Testament when he tells water to stop, and it does. It's this idea of awe. I can't believe what's happening around me, and it's like this feeling that I my breath has been taken away. And so how do we hope and fear in the same thing? It's kind of like people use the idea of storms to describe it. So for example, we've had a fun-filled spring. Lots of hail and some tornado warnings. 
And I don't know if you've been around this church when it hails, but when it hails at this church, we have this little porta right over there. And, and, and the people come to park their cars. And when I say the people, I mean the Double Oak Police Department, okay? And so I, you don't know much of my past. My past is my past. But here's one thing I know. When cops come in mass, I run far, right? So the first time they came, this is a few years ago, we see all these cops at the doorstep of Crossroads, and somebody on staff said, Charlie, they're coming for you. That is not funny to me, everybody, all right? And I'm like, what? And I'm getting in my car to drive into the hail because that's better than what's here, you know? And so they come, and why they come is because they're protected from the portacache. They use the example of a storm because what John Piper will say about it is that fearing and hoping in God at the same time is like when you're in a hailstorm, and, and you've seen the damage of hail. If you've ever been in your car in a hailstorm, it feels like you're taking on enemy fire and ballistic missiles. It resonates and it reverberates and windows are shattering all around you. And then in the middle of that, which you think is threatening your life, you pull under the safety of the portage or of some kind of refuge. And in that, you still fear what's out there. You still respect what's out there. You're still in awe of what hail can do, but you're hopeful in what's holding you. God is both those things at once. God is the thing you fear because he is the one in ultimate control, but at the same time as we press into God as our refuge, we hope in the same thing we fear because we realize that he's in control of what we aren't in control of. It's a beautiful depiction of how we do both those at the same time. And I need that reminder that God is worthy of my fear and not just my friend. I need that reminder that when I fear in God, I can also hope in God, that both those two things fit together perfectly. And he says in the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is where we start together. We know two things about fear from the Proverbs. One is the fear of the Lord is ongoing. It says in in chapter 23, let your heart not envy sinners, but continue to fear in the Lord all the day. So this goes back to where it began. You will not get to the end of your wisdom. You will not ever be wise enough. You will not ever be as wise as God. So every single day, every moment of every day, we fear the Lord in this beautiful kind of balance of I'm fearful, but I'm hopeful because I understand that I'm never going to get there. I'm a perpetual learner. This is why the book was written, to learn wisdom. And so he says, it continues every day. And it leads to life. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who rests in it is satisfied. Fear is a grace because it makes us realize and understand that we're not in control. And then finally, where this thing ties off, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9. So we're talking about what wisdom is. The idea that wisdom is not just knowing what to do, but when to do it, and knowing that it's for all of us, and knowing that it begins in a fear of the Lord. And when it says begin there, there's a few different words to describe begin, and we see it a couple different ways. One, begin means beginning, start of something. This is the inception, right? So this is the first in a series of talks on Proverbs. It's the beginning. The second way we see begin talked about in the scriptures is it's the best of something, the first of something. It says about Jesus in Colossians that he was the beginning or the firstborn. It doesn't mean he was made. What they're saying there is he's better than all the other living things. And in this one, what we see here, when it says the beginning of wisdom or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of discernment, the, the language connotates that it is essentially the principle that guides all of the principles. It's the controlling principle. It makes sense out of life. Because if we go to the Lord and see the life like the Lord sees life. Life makes more sense. That's why it's wise. I, when I put that proverb up there earlier about, you know, she can start an argument in an empty house. I, I'm serious. That is me. 
I, in college, lived with a buddy that I grew up with, actually. And he's very smart, smarter than me. But when I was bored, I would just pick a fight with him, you know? Like, I'd say, what do you believe about this? And he'd say this, and it'd be about sports or theology or anything. And I would just pick the contrary point of view just to argue. And after about an hour, I'd say, dude, I'm done. I don't really care. I was just, I was bored, you know? I, I remember... Um, a buddy of mine came to visit me after my freshman year in college. He came and met my family. I'd known him for a year. And we had a conference in the area. And my family shows value in arguing. We get together and we scream and we fight in a beautiful way that says, I value you. I remember that one night that he came in at dinner with us, my brother and I got in like a 45-minute argument on how to say the word topographical, right? <laughs> we did. We just kept going back and forth, used all of God's words. It was great. And we... Um, in doing that, I remember I, I printed off the phonetic version of that word and like stuck it to the fridge and highlighted things and underlined things. It stayed up there for weeks. My buddy saw that. He'd known me for a year. He didn't know my family. He saw that and he sat back after the dinner was done. And I said, what's up, man? He goes, I, nothing. I just, I get it now. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, I just, yeah, you make more sense. <laughs> I said, do I really? He said, you do. Once he got to know my family, he understood the principles that controlled all my actions and outline. What that means is as we understand who God is, as we have a fear of the Lord that's hopeful and awe-inspiring at the same time, as we see life from God's perspective, it controls our actions. The fear of the Lord is the very beginning of Proverbs. It's the beginning of wisdom. And so we come together as people that hopefully want to seek out the wisdom of God. But it starts with knowing our relationship to him is dependent on both fear and hope. My favorite part of this whole thing is verse 8. So he says all these things, and he defined wisdom, he says, this is what wisdom is, and then he says, listen, my child, the instruction from your father, and he launches into nine chapters, nine and a half chapters, on how he would do life, and the context of this phrase isn't just, listen, I'm going to speak at you, it's come close so I can speak and show you, because I care. It's come close, and I'm inviting you into a relationship with me because this is how life is supposed to be done. It's intimate, and it's slow, and it's methodical, and it's beautiful. A father and a son, the way it's supposed to be done. And so the book of Proverbs starts by defining wisdom. And in the end, it reminds us that wisdom begins with our relationship with God, how we see him, how we hope in him, and then fundamentally how we press in close and listen so as we talk about the different parts of our lives and the different themes in the book of Proverbs this summer, it is my hope and my prayer that we learn what to do and we learn when to do them, but ultimately we do it because we know who's in control of all of it in the first place, that we press into the Lord and listen because he has something to tell us. Let me pray for us and let's worship again. God, I'm so thankful that you've allowed us the grace to come here today and talk about how good you are talk about the wisdom that you have for us, whether we're wise or foolish, to spend time calling us family, calling us friend, calling us son, calling us daughter, saying, pressing close and listen because I care. May we be a people that grow in our wisdom. May we take joy in growing in our wisdom. And as we press into God, may we feel more of his influence in our world. Might we walk in the ways of the wise so that people might see Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.